Thank you for joining us. This is Salt and Light Baptist Church, and I am Pastor Justin Walker. We're glad to have you here today. We're going through the book of Genesis. It's a book of foundations. Not only the foundations of God's Word, but the foundations of the entire world in which we live. And we see Genesis divided into two major sections. The first is in the first 11 chapters. It's the creation of the world. It's the fall of man. It's the global flood of Noah. It's the dispersion where men are scattered abroad across the earth. And then the Bible will zoom in in chapters 12 through 50, the Bible zooms in the stories into Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. And so grab a Bible and come along with us today as we continue our study through Genesis. So uh, if y'all wondered, the, the blood blister went when I was playing, so that was, <laughs> I just turned it around for you. Uh, I'm telling you, blood, sweat, and tears. Uh, okay, grab a Bible and uh, turn it open to Genesis chapter 21. Genesis chapter 21. Um, and just, I, I can't speak too much on it because uh, I'll just lose it. But uh, for those of you who are sending cards and messages and whatever, we appreciate it very much. Thank you. And if you get a chance, maybe say hi to Sarah this morning. I'm sure she's watching uh, from home. So if you get a chance, you can text her. Okay. So, um, all right. That's it. Genesis chapter 21. See what I, I got to sh- shut it off or I'll lose it. So Genesis 21 is where we're going to be. Uh, my mom used to tell me, uh, you know, she'd always tell stories. Maybe that's where I got it from. And uh, she told me this story that just kind of stuck in my head. I don't know why. You ever had that, like, like, you don't really know why a particular story stuck in your head, but that's the one that stuck. And this is one of those stories that just really stuck in my head from my mom. Uh, she was a little girl, and she was in Georgia. That's where she, part of the time she grew up in Georgia. And um, she was playing with a, a, a neighbor girl down the street, and they were playing in the shade of a tree one day, and they're just running around playing, and all of a sudden, this girl's dad steps out the door, and he says, girls, lay down on the ground. And she looks over at her friend, and her friend laid down on her belly, and so my mom just followed suit, and she laid down with this little girl. And this dad said, girls, crawl towards me right now. Start crawling. Well, the girl started giggling. He said, no, 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 not a joke. Crawl towards me as fast as you can. And so my mom said she remembered crawling on her belly like an army crawl as fast as she could. She started crawling. And this guy reached over beside the door and he grabbed a shovel and he started marching towards the two girls. And my mom said that she was a little bit scared for the moment. And they kept crawling and he's marching towards them. He marched right past them and they turned around and there was a big copperhead snake coming down out of that tree that they were playing under. And he went over and killed that copperhead snake. And he took the, the body of that snake when, after he had killed it, and they, were, they had made it up to the porch. They you know, saw the snake and ran up to the porch, and, and he walked up to the porch with that snake. And my mom said that uh, her friend's dad looked at her with that snake, and he said, that's why it's always important to listen to your daddy, even when you don't understand why. Amen. Now listen, today, now you probably already got some application out of that. I didn't even get very far. But, but listen, today we're going we're gonna to see the rest of the story that I didn't get to finish from last week. The story of when Hagar is kicked out of Abraham's house. And the thing I want us to see today is the reason that why we should listen to God, even when we don't know why. I kept reading the story over and over again all week saying, Lord, why? Why did you do, why did you do it this way? It just seems so weird to me. And, uh, and I think the Lord gives us some good answers. So let's look together. This is Genesis chapter 21, verse 14. And poor Hagar is about ready to get kicked out of her house. Let's read it together. Genesis 21, 14. Do you have it? So Abraham rose early in the morning, took bread and a skin of water, and putting it on her shoulder, he gave it to the boy. Thank you. He gave it to the boy, he gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. 
and the water in the skin was used up, and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. And then she went and sat down across from him at the distance of about a bow shot, and she said to herself, Let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad, and the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. And then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. And so God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt with the lad, excuse me, he dwelt in the land, in the wilderness, and became an archer. And he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask you in this very moment, God, would you speak to us through your word? And Lord, I think even recently I've probably been one of the most to say why. And I pray right now, Lord, that you'd speak to our hearts and help us to recognize how good you are and how merciful you are and just how much we really can trust you. Father, would you reveal that to us? Would you reveal this word to us today? Father, I'm no one to teach this. I thank you that you've given me the opportunity, but Father, I admit publicly that I, who am I? So would you just please send your Holy Spirit in this place and would you touch our hearts and let your word speak to each and every one of us? Father, that's what we desperately want. We want to hear from you. So right now, we just submit ourselves to you. We submit our hearts to you, our minds to you. We love you, God, above everything. Would you speak in this place? In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. All right, look. It's verse 14. And you know where the story was last week, right? Abraham and Sarah waiting all these years, 25 years of being promised to seed. Abraham's 100 years old. Sarah's 90 years old. And they had Isaac. He's the promised seed. He finally came. He's here. And Abraham became the Instagram dad. His son was weaned. He's eating solid food. And so what did Abraham do? He invited all the neighbors to come see, to come celebrate, because the young man, the, the, the probably two or three-year-old boy Isaac, is weaned, and so he wants to have a big feast. And you remember that Ishmael, Ishmael is the other son of Abraham, not from Sarah. Ishmael's the product of Abraham's flesh, not the, not the promise, not of the spirit. Only the spirit could bring Isaac. They were dead. Abraham and Sarah, they were dead as far as uh, physically being able to have a child. Okay, But spiritually, God gave them a child. He gave them, supernaturally, we could say, he gave them Isaac. But Ishmael was a product of the flesh. And Ishmael, at this time, probably about 16 years old, started making fun of Isaac, who was having a feast thrown for him, a little toddler who's weaned. And Ishmael's making fun of Isaac. He's mocking him. He's scoffing at him. And as a result, he's probably scoffing at Abraham and Sarah as well. I don't think we're doing any injustice to the text to assume, you know, in, at least inadvertently, when he's mocking the little child uh, who's been weaned, he's mocking Abraham and Sarah. And so remember that Sarah got all mad and she said, kick Hagar out and take him, get him out of here. And you remember with me that Abraham was displeased at that. Do you remember that? Abraham did not like that idea, would you? I mean, this is his 16-year-old son. 
I'm sure that he loved Ishmael. He didn't hate Ishmael. Now, Sarah's had this kind of tension for all these years between Hagar and herself. And, but, but Abraham loved Ishmael. As a matter of fact, Abraham tried to tell God earlier. God said uh, when God was promising that Abraham would have the, uh, the promised seed, Isaac, remember that Abraham even tried to chime in for a moment. And Abraham said, here's Ishmael. Oh, that you would take Ishmael. So Abraham loves Ishmael. And God said, remember what God did? God said, don't fear to do what Sarah's told you to do. Sarah says, kick him out. Sarah says, kick him out. And then the the shock to me, where I begin to start saying, God, why? Like, how how do I teach this? Why would you tell Abraham to kick Ishmael out? It doesn't make sense to my to my Western future mind looking back to think, why would you kick him out? I mean, okay, he scoffed at your son, he mocked you, okay, you reprimand him ground him, take his phone away, whatever. You get what I'm saying? Like, kick him out seemed extreme, didn't it? Uh, At least to me, to my mind, I read it and said, that is so extreme to tell him to get out. But God says something in the middle of that, and I'm going to give you an illustration to help with this question. Why in the world would God say, agree with Sarah? Why would he say to kick Ishmael out? And so i got to tell you before I give you this example, because YouTube's a thing, and you guys have probably or could for yourself see it. I don't want you to think that I'm, I'm... plagiarizing. This is not my example, and this example does not come as a biblical example. As a matter of fact, the example I'm about to give you comes from Carl Sagan. If you know Carl Sagan, he's a pretty big atheist, okay? Or uh, he, Well, atheist is definitely the word. Or, and so uh, Carl Sagan, he's, he's noted, if you ever had to watch that um, video in high school that said we're all made of star stuff, that's his real popular line, um, you know, because he believes we, we all came from a big, big bang. That's Carl Sagan. Okay. And Carl Sagan was a bit of a physicist, and he, he believed in the fourth dimension. And so his example to explain the fourth dimension is what I'm about to give you. Okay, And I promise I'm not trailing off. I, it'll, it'll come together. I, well, I hope. Okay, So Carl Sagan, he, he used this example to explain the fourth dimension. And he said that here's what we'll have to imagine. We're going to imagine. Can you guys do a little pretending with me? Sure, sure you can. We're going to pretend that we've got, let's see if I can, I'm going to have to go to the other side. Can I do this? Here we go. I'm going to step off the stage. I'm right-handed. So, okay, we're going to pretend for a moment that this guy is a real guy. This is two-dimensional man. Okay? Two-dimensional man. He lives in two-dimensional world. He really lives. He's a real actual person. Can you put that in your head? He's a real guy. And two-dimensional man, because he's in two-dimensional world, he can go this way. He can look that way. He can look this way. He can look up. He can look down. But two-dimensional man can't look out. You with me for just a moment? I I promise it. We'll get somewhere. Two-dimensional man, he can go forward, backward, up, and down. But he can't look out and see you. Now, you, you're three-dimensional. So you can look in and see because three-dimensional has two-dimensional included in it. So you can see two-dimensional man, but two-dimensional man can't see you. Does that kind of make sense for a moment? Because he can't look this way. He can only go these ways. So here's two-dimensional man. And when two-dimensional man comes up to a, a... Something in his way. Let's go even a little taller. When he comes up to a a mountain in his way, what does two-dimensional man, what can he see? What can he see right now? All he sees is a wall. He just sees a mountain. He sees a a big hill in front of him that he's got to climb. But if we come over here and we draw on this side, let's see if I can do this. This is my attempt at a treasure chest. Okay? You're going to like this. That's, That's a good drawing. Let's go like that. Okay, little hook right there. That looks terrible. 
Okay, let's just write. Let's just write. Treasure. Right? Okay, that's a treasure chest. That's some good handwriting. Okay, look, there's gold. There's gold in there. Right, that's right. Two di- you're three-dimensional. What do you see right now? You can see the treasure on the other side of the, the mountain. But two-dimensional man, all he sees is a mountain in his way. Okay? This is not my example. Carl Sagan said, if there's a fourth dimension, stick with this. He said the fourth dimension can look in, and they're not confined by what we're confined by. So when they see the future, now he's thinking there's a fourth dimension. He says when they see the future, it's like you looking in on two-dimensional man. A fourth dimension can look in and see three-dimensional, and they can see past what we can't see past. I thought, this atheist guy just explained the best explanation of God I've ever heard. God's not in the third dimension like you and I. He's not bound by what you and I are bound by. And so when we see something in our way that looks insurmountable, God can look past it and say there's a treasure on the other side. Now look with me. Look with me. We're in the text. We're in, we're in uh, Genesis chapter 21. And do you remember what God said? And he repeats it. I'm going to read a little further. Do you remember what God said to Abraham? He said, go ahead. Don't be afraid to do what Sarah... Well, let me just go back and read it. He said, don't be afraid to hearken to what Sarah said. It's verse 12. So Genesis 21 and verse 12. But God said to Abraham, do not be displeased and uh, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bond or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac your, your seed shall be called, verse 13, yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because he's your seed. So God says to Abraham, kick her out and kick him out. Because God sees the treasure. Do you understand that? Let's look at this. God doesn't see what you and I see. He's above that. He's not just above it. He's beyond it. He's not looking at through a microscope at the earth. Friends, he's, when he sees us, he knows our beginning and our end. And God's not confined by the view that we're confined by. Let's turn to a few things in the Bible. Let's go over to, to Proverbs. Can you do that? Let's go to Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 21. Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 21. Proverbs chapter 19 and in verse 21, read this. There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. Do you remember with me? Here's poor, I'm telling you, I feel bad for Hagar in this story. In this moment, Hagar's got it rough. But do you remember with me when Abraham and Sarah had the idea of taking Hagar and making Hagar into his wife so that they could have the seed? Do you remember when we had that and I told you that all three were wrong? Abraham was wrong and Sarah was wrong and I told you Hagar was wrong. Remember, as soon as Hagar got pregnant, what'd she do? She turned on Sarah. She started picking on Sarah. And Sarah and Hagar had it out, and Hagar tried to run away. She knew she was pregnant with Abraham's son, but she still tried to run away. And I told you then, I said, well, here's Hagar. Hagar probably had it in her mind. She just married the richest man in all that area. So rich, every time he moves in an area, the kings talk with him, whether it's Pharaoh or Abimelech. This guy was rich, and now she, not only she married him, she's got his child. You think Hagar thought 16 years ago it was going to work out like this? There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. Let's look at another one. How about Isaiah 55 and verse 8? 
I know some of you know it, but turn there anyways. Isaiah 55 and verse 8. Isaiah 55 and, and verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor, my, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. God knows you and I, we see. I'm telling you, I can't talk about it right now because I'll just start crying and then I can't come off of it. But I'm telling you, God sees past what we can't see. And God already knows. And so when God says, I need you to go over the mountain or I need you to swim under the sea or I need you to go through this terrible thing that you don't really want to go through, he's not doing it because he's some mean, awful, terrible God. As a matter of fact, something that's been flooding my mind for the past two weeks is how much God loves us more than we even love each other. I want you to think about that line for a moment. Listen, I'm telling you right now, my heart's breaking. I love my wife. And I, I can't really fathom how somebody could love her more than I do. But he does. He, if my heart's breaking, what about his? Do you get it? God loves you so much that he doesn't just want this. He's not just some big meanie saying, hey, here's an obstacle. <laughs> Watch him try. No, friends. God says the obstacle is there, but this is what's on the other side. And I need you to go through that to get to the treasure. Here, Abraham, you got to kick him out. Don't be afraid. I've got him. You're not the one protecting Ishmael. I am. And so he says, kick him out. We got more. Let's read more. I'm only on verse 1. My first verse. Verse 14. Let's, let's go a little further. Verse 15. And the water... So I'm back in Genesis. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm jumping ahead. Genesis 21, we're in verse 15 now. And the water in the skin was used up. And she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. And then she went and sat down across from him at the distance of about a bow shot. And she said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. And so she sat opposite of him and she lifted her voice and wept. Do you, do you understand? Like she, she found the shade. You, you get what's going on, right? The water runs up. Abraham sends her out. He sends her out with water. He sends her out with a little bit of bread and says, take your son. You have to go. I want you to think of it in these terms. She didn't just get kicked out and now she's got to go move back in with mom and dad. And it must have been a pretty bad scenario because I want you to consider the fact she didn't run down into Egypt, probably because she'd have been put right back into slavery. Remember, 16 years ago, she thought she was getting out of slavery. She's pregnant with Abraham's son. But now 16 years later, now she's kicked out. She's got some water and she's got some bread. They apparently tried to make it on their own in the wilderness. And they failed. And now they can't find any water. You can go a while without food, but you can't go very long without water. And so with no water, it obviously seems like it's hot because she finds a shrub and she puts him in the shade under the, under the shrub. This is a 16-year-old. You understand he's walking for himself. She's not carrying him. That probably makes it even scarier when he's coughing and dry heaving. And when he fell over on his hands and his knees and his mom couldn't take watching him struggle to, to keep up anymore. And can you just put it in your head that she probably grabbed him and scooped him up and kissed him on the head and said, lay right here in the shade. I'm going to go find some water. And she probably turned around and covered her mouth and ran the other way. And she could hear his wailing as he's crying from hunger pangs. 
And her son is back there behind under a bush. And she gets about a bow shot away and she starts to cry. She says, I can't sit there and watch him die. And in the midst of that crying, look at this. 17, and God heard the voice of the lad and the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, what ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. I began to ask myself, why did God let her get so far? The very next verse, then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. This poor woman, she's watching her son die in front of her. She kisses him on the head. In her mind, that's the last kiss. I'm going to go over here and I'm not going to stay by him and watch him die. He'll probably pass out soon enough. And in that state, God shows up and says, what ails you, Hagar? Do you understand with me what I'm trying to get at? Why would God let her get that far? I want to tell you another story. 16 years ago, we opened a business. When we opened our business, we did what everybody does when you open a business. We went to try to go get a loan. And we went to the banks, and the banks said, no way. Everybody said, try the Small Business Association. So we did. As a matter of fact, there's different small business associations at different banks. And so we went to different banks and tried to talk to their different people associated with the small business association. And I'll never forget the one lady at one bank I won't name because I'm not going to be rude. She looked at us and she said, if opening a fabric store in Oldham County was such a great idea, how come nobody's done it in all these years? I remember looking back at her and said, well, I hope they open up another knickknack shop. So anyways, (laughs) right. Some of you got that because you live in LaGrange and you know (laughs) we need another consignment store. Anyway, so... So listen, I, uh, you hear that? Like, that's my, that's my stressed out stuff. I shouldn't say stuff like that. And so I was, we were mad at that lady. And, uh, and we didn't get a loan. And two, we went and opened our business anyways. Poured our life savings into it. Sold a couple of cars. Took everything we had, put it in the business. And two years went by, and a recession hit. We were desperate. I'm taught when I tell, if I told you how little I lived on for one particular year, you would not believe me. You'd, you'd say to me, there's no way you could survive on that. And uh, we went back to the banks again. Two years later, we went back to the banks. We said, we've been open for a couple of years. We just need like a, a 30-day loan or a 60-day loan, just something to, to try to get by. And they said, absolutely not. Now even more so than before. No, they wouldn't give us a thing. We got down so far. I was certain at one point we were all going to file bankruptcy. I'm not kidding. I'm, when I tell you, like we were, we were down. We were down. We didn't have a bunch of uh, we didn't have a bunch of loans, but the little loans that we had, we thought we were losing everything we had. And I remember being in that. I remember being in the middle of that and thinking to myself, God, why? Like, why? Why will you not fix this? We're trying to follow you. I mean, we would open every day in prayer. We're working on Christian people. We're still doing ministry in church. We're still trying. We're trying everything. We're serving God on one hand and on the other hand, it's like we can't. I'm buying angel food boxes to get food on the table for my kids. And I was just destitute. And I remember thinking, God, why? Why would you let me get this far? But I want to tell you something. We never got a loan because they wouldn't give us one. Inside of about 10 years, we decided something. It was a whole lot better that we never got one of those loans. And today, 16 years later, as a business owner, we have a business that has absolutely zero debt. And a little while ago, COVID hit. 
And when COVID hit, our landlord came to us. And you want to know the first thing our landlord said when he walked in the door? Everybody's shutting down. We hadn't seen a customer in two weeks. And the, the landlord walked in the door, and you know what he said to us? Are you guys going to be able to make the rent? First words out of his mouth. Not, can I help? It's just, he just said, can, y'all going to be able to make the rent? He said, well, we don't know. Like, we haven't had a paycheck in two weeks. We don't, we, we don't know if we're going to be able to make the rent. We, we don't, this is new to all of us. We were, we were kind of, you know, struck for a moment. And we had a meeting. He left, and we all gathered up in the office there, and we had a meeting. And I remember this is what everybody in the meeting was able to say. Well, he could come lock the doors, but we own every bit of this. We'll just gather it all up and take it somewhere else and sell it somewhere else. Do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? Why would God let Hagar get this far down? Because sometimes God's let us, God has to let us get this far down so that we'll pay attention to him. Because if I, if I had taken the loan 16 years ago, I promise you, if I would taken the loan, I'd have tried to take one now. It would have been that vicious circle of one after another after another. But what did God do? He trained me and he put me in a position, and my whole family for that matter, he put us in a position to say, hey, we know better than that now because of what happened before. Hagar, I want to ask you this question. What do you think might have happened with Hagar if she had seen the well first? Would she have recognized it was from God? Maybe she would have even thought, maybe she would have thought it was somebody else's. Maybe she wouldn't have stayed in Paran in the wilderness where they were. Maybe she would have left and tried to go somewhere else. I don't know. I'm speculating those things. But what I'm saying to you is God needed to get, uh, to get Hagar's attention. And I'll promise you this. Hagar never forgot this day. Hagar never forgot the day that she laid her son under a bush, kissed his head, and said goodbye. I'm going to go get you some water, knowing that she was going to let him die. And so every time in the future when she began to question God, you think life got easy? I mean, she got him a drink. Did life get easy? No, they still had a pretty hard road ahead of them. And I guarantee you, every time there was that hard road, she could remember that day and the voice of God saying, don't fear, I'm going to make him a great nation. I got one more. I know I'm a little late. Do you guys want me to stop? You don't want to stop. Okay, good. Look, look, look. Let's do one more, though. God says to her, lift up the lad, this verse 18, hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. And then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. And so, are you reading this? God was with the lad. What a wonderful thing. God says that a few times in his Bible and every time he does, it's a pretty wonderful thing. God was with him. And he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. And he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. He not only did he survive when he was 16 years old and got some water that day out of the well, but God was with him. He became a skilled archer. He got married. His mom went and found a wife from Egypt. She was from Egypt. Remember, she's an Egyptian handmaid. She went and found him a wife from Egypt and he married a wife from Egypt. And God literally blessed him. Now that left me with one last question. Does anybody remember Ishmael? Do you remember when he was born? God gave a prophecy about this young man. What did God say? He's going to be a wild man. He's going to be a wild man. His hand is going to be against everybody, and everybody's hand is going to be against him. Do you remember that? And I begin to think to myself, God, why in the world? He became, Ishmael became, so you know, you're hit, in case you don't know, Ishmael and his line they became Muslim, Islam. The nation of Islam and Muslim comes from Ishmael. And that line troubled the Jews all throughout history. And by the way, they're not done. Do you understand that? 
Like today, we still see the ramifications of this from Ishmael being saved in the wilderness, even though God said he'd make him a great nation, and he did. Why would God, why not let him die? If God can see past, and God could see that he was going to be a great nation, God could also see that what was going to happen with his family line and what was going to happen as they troubled the Jews. Ravi Zacharias said something one time, which was a pretty amazing statement. If you don't know Ravi Zacharias, he's, he's the late Ravi Zacharias. He's passed, but a great apologist. And Ravi Zacharias, I remember him saying one time, he said that we here in the West, we always try to answer the question and we struggle with the question. Why could a, or how could a loving God send anyone to hell? Ravi Zacharias said when they're over in the Middle East and witnessing, they have a different question they have to try to deal with. In the East, they always try to say, why or how could a fair God or a just God save anyone from hell? Think about that. In the, West, in the East, here in the West, we say, how could a loving God send anybody to hell? But in the West, they always say, how could, a, how could a fair God or a just God save anybody from it? If he's truly fair and truly just, how could he ever save anybody from that? And so here's this lad laying there dying. He was within some short amount of time of dying, his mom could tell. And she's wailing about it, and God could have left him, but God didn't. And that ends us with this today. That's the narrative of the entire Bible. That those who don't deserve to be saved, God saved. See, I want you to think about this. If you're going to ask the question, God, why would you save him? You better first ask the question, God, why would you save me? Why in the world? Are you telling me that since you got saved that, God, that you've been perfect? And if God knows past what you see, and God knew you would sin, and yet he still saved you. See, that's the narrative of the Bible. That God loves us so much that even though God knows that I am a wretched, dirty, awful person and I'm going to sin, I did sin before and I still got more coming. I wish it wasn't that way. But God, knowing that, sent his only son, Jesus, to die for me. He sent his only son, Jesus, to die for you. That is how great of a love God has for you. He sent his son, Jesus, to die for you even while you were still a sinner. And Jesus died on a cross, but he didn't stay there three days later. He came out of the grave. I want you to think about this. By his own power, by his own might, Christ got out of the grave. Walked out. Now, are you with this? There, there were grave clothes there, but there was no Christ there. They rolled the stone away later. They, the, well, the angels did. They rolled the stone away later, and Jesus wasn't in the tomb. Remember that? Now, I want you to think about this. Jesus took his body, gave it for you on the cross. Then he rose from the dead and said, you can come live with me in a resurrected life. You can come live with me in this life. I'm resurrected, and if I'm resurrected, you can be there with me. He took you, a sinner who doesn't deserve it, and he says, I'll give you a whole brand new life. And then he goes even further. He said, it's good for me to leave. Remember that? It's expedient for me to leave. Why? Because if I leave, I'll send you the comforter. He took it even further. Not only did he save you from your sin, he offered you a new life, and then he offered you his own spirit. And he said he would let his, fear, his spirit fill you from the inside and his spirit would dwell with you. I remember one time I had an uncle. He tried to tell me. He said, uh, the Bible never said that. He said, the Bible never says that, that all believers. Because he wanted to pray. He's a, a Pentecostal. And he wanted to pray for me to receive the spirit. I said, you can't do that. You can't pray for me to receive the spirit. I received the spirit when I, when I accepted Jesus in my heart. He said, oh, no, you can have Jesus and not have the spirit. I took him right out of Romans. And I said, no, you can't. Paul taught, taught us that he who doesn't have the spirit is none of his. When you get saved... Jesus 
sends his Holy Spirit to dwell inside of you. And that's what he promised. That's what the, that's what the prophets were promising. Remember that? The prophets were saying, I'll give you my spirit, a new spirit. He died for you, he rose for you, and then he gives you his spirit. And you don't deserve that. No, Ishmael didn't deserve to be saved. He had mocked the promised son. He had mocked Abraham, father Abraham. He mocked a hundred-year-old man. Even if the man was wrong, let him have his feast. Why are you going to mock him? He was wrong. And yet God sent his angel, his son, the angel of the Lord, spoke from heaven and said, lift him up, take him with your hand. And she opened her eyes and God saved her. Friends, my prayer for you right now as we close is that God would open your eyes and that you would see that Jesus is the Savior and he wants to save you. It doesn't matter what you've done. And honestly speaking, he's not even really looking at what you're going to do. He's looking at you and he loves you and he wants to save you and that's why he sent his son. If you'll put your faith in him, he'll save you right now. Let's do it. Let's stand up on our feet and go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to say thank you, God, so much that you have sent your son to die for us who don't deserve it. God, thank you that you have offered us peace. Not peace on this earth. Your son said that he didn't come to bring peace on the earth, but the sword. Father, thank you that you've offered us peace with you. Thank you that you have reconciled us to yourself when we were laying under a bush dying and some of us didn't even know it. May your name be glorified because you are good. And Father, you see, you see what is ahead and you have good plans for us. And we can trust you as a good father. How awful would this whole scenario be if you were not good? But God, you are. So we take a moment and just say thank you. We praise your name for who you are. You are merciful. And you're not just because if you were, if you were just just, we would be all headed for hell. But Father, you have given us by your grace, your son Jesus. Thank you for pouring your own justice out on your son. We praise you for who you are. We take a moment right now, Lord, and I just want to ask you personally, if, if there's somebody listening, if there's somebody watching, if there's somebody here right now in this room and they've never accepted you, Father, would you please work on them right now? Would you open up their heart? Would you soften their heart to your call that they would hear that you want to save them? Father, would you reveal to them how much you love them? I don't think my words could ever do it, but certainly, Lord, you can. Penetrate our hearts. That's what your word does. It's a double-edged sword. And it'll divide bone and marrow and soul and spirit. Father, would you, would you send your word right now and just divide us from those things that are keeping us from you? We pray that you'd be with this time, this altar call. Lord, do with it whatever you want. You're king. We trust you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, you made it all the way through the sermon. Thanks so much for sticking with us. Don't forget you can find all of our sermons at saltandlightbaptist.com slash media. You can join us live on Sunday morning on Facebook or at saltandlightbaptist.com slash live. We'll see you next week.